0: listening on iTunes or visiting the website at www.beyondthepandora.com or any of the other wonderful places that you get your podcast from, thank you for tuning in. If you had told me a few years ago that I would be doing a podcast about the paranormal, I wouldn't have believed it possible. And it's a podcast that people actually listen to. That's the part I love. Is all the people from all around the world that tune in and listen to me go on and on about all the weird and wonderful things the paranormal has to offer. We are all kindred spirits here sharing this journey to discovery and I am so grateful and humbled by your presence with me. I feel you. You are with me when I'm making decisions about what new and exciting topics to talk about and the experiences to share with you. My goal has always been to entertain, inform, and enlighten you. That's how the whole concept of Beyond the Pandora came about. To me, Pandora has always gotten a bad rap. She is, of course, vilified as someone who brought all the misery and suffering to the world, when in reality, she was seeking truth that was being denied to her because she was a pawn in someone else's war. Okay, so kind of stick with me here. This is kind of my belief system and my understanding about how all of this breaks down. And I know my view is a little different than what you may have read about somewhere else or heard about, but just stick with me. I promise it will make sense. Okay, so there was this race of beings called the Olympians, and they came to this planet to mine resources. And Zeus, their leader, gives Prometheus, who is a titan, Titans are a conquered race of beings subordinate to the Olympians. He gives Prometheus the task of creating a worker race of beings to work on the surface of the planet. Prometheus creates mankind, just men, no women. Prometheus uses parts of himself to create a worker that was strong, capable, adept, wise, and possessed all the attributes that would allow them to do the work that the gods required of them, as well as being honorable and an asset to the gods. But Zeus was not happy that Prometheus had given his creation fire, which fire seems to translate to something more akin to the spark or the spirit of the gods, which is complex language, critical, abstract, and higher thought, and the ability to create technology. Basically, creating men in the image of the gods. Zeus was not happy about this and he felt that Prometheus and his younger brother Epimetheus sought to belittle him and all his glory by creating these creatures and making them like the gods. So Zeus punished Prometheus and his younger brother for what they had done. He chained Prometheus to the top of a mountain where he was attacked and killed daily by a giant eagle and then was reborn each dawn to suffer and die that way for all eternity. Zeus was not a nice person. He then decided to use Epimetheus as a tool to destroy their creation. Zeus commanded Hephaestus, who was another Olympian god, to create Pandora from earth and water. She is actually the first woman, and Zeus ordered all the other gods to bestow divine gifts upon her. One of the gifts that these gods gave Pandora was a large storage jar to take down to earth which she was told she must never open under any circumstances. Pandora was sent to Epimetheus, who immediately fell in love with her, and they married. At first, Pandora didn't know what her purpose was. She had literally been created to punish her husband and his brother and to bring about the downfall of humanity. Pandora discovered that she was being used as a weapon to punish humanity, and she tried hard to be good and kind and benevolent. But in the end, she was tempted and tricked by Zeus, and she opened the jar. War, illness, disease, suffering, sorrow, death, violence, greed, anger, murder, toil, and all the big bads were poured out into the world, and all that was left hiding at the bottom of the jar was hope. Hope refused to leave the jar, and Pandora closed it back inside, leaving it for the salvation of humanity. But in the end, Pandora was cursed for eternity, as the cause of all the suffering, disease, unhappiness and death in the world. But in reality, she was upon for an evil so-called God who refused to share the bounty of his gifts with humanity and he was the one who was really the cause of all the evils visited on the world. The story of Prometheus stealing fire from Mount Olympus is really about him bringing enlightenment, civilization and technology to the world. He made it possible for his creation to experience abstract and higher thought and to be able to express themselves through language, art, and technology. He gave humans an upgrade to their minds that made them more like the gods and capable of raising their civilizations up to the level of the gods. This was seen as a direct threat to Zeus and his power. This was not something that he could allow, and that's why he devised the plan to send Pandora to destroy it all. But in the end, Pandora kept hope alive when her creator used her as a pawn to destroy everything that she loved. To me, she's a hero. She tried to fight against the darkness. She's also the first woman from which the race of women are born. She was created to be smart, strong, cunning, wise, capable, adept, and beautiful, and all the good things. So when I decided to do this podcast, I wanted to present my ideas and beliefs that I have embraced over a lifetime of experiences and research in such a way that hopefully would flip a switch or light a candle for someone who doesn't necessarily embrace the status quo in the field of the paranormal. For too long, there has been a division in this field of research where the Bigfooters don't talk to the ghost hunters, the ghost hunters don't talk to the UFO experiencers, and everyone is ignoring what the others are accomplishing instead of sharing their discoveries and opening their minds to the possibilities that they are all related and more can be accomplished together than apart. I think there are more people in the field who are coming to this conclusion and they're waking up to what is possible, like my friend and colleague Carrie, better known as Sassy Squatch Girl and Bigfoot Mountain. She investigates all forms of the paranormal and has caught significant evidence to support the existence of both ghosts and Bigfoot. Then, of course, there are people like Dana and Greg Newkirk, who are self-proclaimed witches who are famously searching for little green men in caves while attempting to be abducted by aliens. We have entered a new age where anything is possible, and it's very exciting. We may be attempting to blaze trails and break down stereotypes, but we are by no means the first of our kind. History is filled with the stories of paranormal going back to the ancient paintings found in caves depicting unusual figures with antennae coming out of their heads with six fingers to small statues of humanoid figures wearing something that looks like a modern-day spacesuit. It seems the paranormal has been with the human race from the beginning. We are still trying to solve mysteries that plagued our ancient ancestors, and we seem to be no closer to an explanation than they were when they painted those cave walls. Part of the reason for that is the refusal by mainstream science and scientists to take the paranormal seriously. It's perfectly fine to embrace some of Einstein's more bizarre theories like spooky action at a distance, while denying the experiences of people like Betty and Barney Hill. Regardless of what the skeptics may think, in the last hundred years, there has been incredible breakthroughs in the paranormal field. There has also been a great deal of damage done to the legitimacy of the field by charlatans who engaged in questionable practices for notoriety and financial gain. Going back to the mid to late 1700s to the early 1800s, we find people like Frank Mesmer, who gave us hypnotism, which was originally called mesmerism. And this is also where we get the word mesmerize, which refers to someone in a trans-like state. This was also the beginning of the spiritualist movement, which for some reason was considered more of a religion. Moving forward, history is littered with some crazy and interesting characters who were an asset and a curse to the field of the paranormal, So many of the standards and beliefs that seem to be hardwired into the brains of people were born in the times of spiritualism. Down through history, many very important and powerful people participated in everything from seances to planning their lives according to the horoscope. One very famous participant was Mary Todd Lincoln, who is said to have been warned of her husband's impending assassination. Even President Lincoln himself said he had dreamt of his lying in state in the East Room of the White House. Another First Lady, Nancy Reagan, gained notoriety when it was revealed that she consulted with her astrologer on all things related to her and President Reagan's life. For some reason that I have never been able to understand, anyone who seriously consults or engages in any of the paranormal is considered by the larger part of the civilized world as crazy. That the very act of engagement is aberrant in some way, when actually it should be a normal, everyday occurrence. The field has a great deal to offer, but everyone who seriously attempts to investigate is relegated immediately to the fringes of science, psychology, and scientific discovery. Like the people who refuse to entertain the possibility of Bigfoot and other cryptids because they don't have a dead body. All the videos, photographs, and testimony from people who have had incredible life-altering encounters is completely ignored or the people are subjected to countless personal attacks where not only is their veracity called into question, but so is their sanity. Even now, the early pioneers like Charles Fort, who was one of the first people to apply scientific method to paranormal investigations and gave us the Fordian Society, is disparaged and reduced to a raving lunatic status. Anyone who refuses to be constrained by so-called mainstream science is relegated to the wasteland of pseudoscience, fringe science, or just no science at all. One of the pioneers that I have learned so much from and am completely fascinated by his work is Hans Holzer. Do you know he is credited with being the first to use the term and title Ghost Hunter? He actually had a television show called Ghost Hunter that ran on a local Boston TV channel in the late 60s. He's written over 140 books and engaged in countless investigations into haunted locations. One of his more famous and infamous locations involved the house that would become so well-known from the books and movies based on the horrific murders and paranormal occurrences that happened there. The Amityville Horror is well-known in the paranormal community. Recently, there has been a revival of his work spearheaded by his daughter, Alexandra, There is even a new and interesting show on the Discovery Channel called The Holzer Files, where each episode focuses on one of his more complex and interesting investigations. Hans was well known for employing psychics to accompany him on his investigations. They proved to be very helpful in identifying the causes of some of the more complex occurrences happening at a location and essentially giving the dead a voice. And today, almost every paranormal research team has a psychic or a sensitive as a prominent member. So much of what we do now is learned from the trial and error of every investigator that has gone before us. One of the major accomplishments that gave us an incredible tool was discovered by accident. One summer day at his country home in Sweden, Friedrich Jurgensen made a discovery that would forever change the way we interact with the paranormal. Please understand, Friedrich Jurgensen was not a paranormal investigator. He was an archaeologist and a portrait artist. Most famously, he painted four portraits of Pope Pius XII. He excavated the ruins of Pompeii and cataloged archaeological works beneath the Vatican. So on that fateful day in 1959, the last thing he expected to discover was something other than the Songs of a Finch. He was an avid bird watcher and had purchased a tape recorder with the express intent of recording birdsong. He made several recordings that summer that stirred up controversy and scrutiny because of who he was and who his friends and associates were. He made several hundred recordings before he ever decided to go public with his findings. He consistently was able to record voices and sounds that he did not hear when the recordings were made. Friedrich Jurgensen is the father of electronic voice phenomenon. Other scientists had been attempting to do the same, but he was the first to do it with such clarity and consistency. There's a blog called Living Life in Full Spectrum that has an interesting write-up about him and his work. I will post a link to it in the show notes, but I do want to read a little bit of it to you. He went on to record further sessions in the hopes of capturing these voices and understanding them and their origin. He trained himself to block out outside noises and to listen to the hiss as initially he did not have headphones. The longer he adapted to the sounds and more frequently he completed his sessions, the voices started coming through more clearly and with complete sentences. At first, he suspected that perhaps the voices were from outer space. It wasn't until he received a message from his deceased mother during one of his recordings that he realized the significance of what he was recording. Yeah, that would do it for me too. The article goes on to say, Jurgensen held his first press conference, and the press was stunned by Jurgensen's scientific approach to these matters and were understandably critical. International Paranormal Societies, as well as the Max Planck Institute, the University of Freiburg, and the Parapsychological Association of the USA also took a keen interest, as well as others like Konstantin Radiv and Claude Thorlin. They came to visit and began to work with him and the tape recorders as well. His initial methods used only a magnetic tape recorder with a microphone attached. In 1960, one of the voices told him to use a radio to act as a medium, and this became his preferred method of contact for the rest of his life. He would connect a microphone and a radio receiver to the tape recorder. He would set the frequency for the radio reception to be in between frequencies as there was a variation of noises. He claimed to have a lot of success in between the frequencies of 1445 and 1500 kilohertz, with 1485 kilohertz now known as the Jurgensen frequency. He went on to publish several books and four documentaries, and at one point he was even looking at founding an EVP research institute in Italy. At his last press conference, he spoke of otoscopic research, which is where he thought ITC was heading. This was a video version where he believed that messages could be able to be received through video. He didn't get to work with this method much as he passed away in October of 1987. He leaves behind hundreds of his recordings and a legacy that has inspired ITC research as we know it today. ITC stands for Instrumental Transcommunication, which is what an EVP technically is. EVP research was truly born and has evolved in many ways since. Video ITC, which he predicted, came to light, and one has to wonder if he in some ways inspired the use of ghost boxes. While he only used radio receivers and static frequencies, it seems that the, he was the first to do this. Also, you can download a free copy of the book, Voice Transmissions with the Deceased, at itcvoices.org. Paranormal investigating would be very limited and rather boring without electronic voice phenomenon. It is one of my favorite things to do and a primary go-to during an investigation. If seeing is believing, then hearing a voice say your name is A definite confirmation of something going on that is beyond our understanding. The idea of recording an EVP is incredibly simple. A recording device can pick up voices and sounds in a range not available to the human ear. The human ear is pretty limited in that it can only hear between 20 and 20,000 hertz. A lot of recording devices record outside this range, some going as low as 7 Hz and as high as 50,000 Hz and maybe even a wider spectrum. The human range of hearing is actually quite limited. It's super interesting that Friedrich was instructed by spirit voices to incorporate what is essentially a spirit box. He even found a frequency that seemed to be very active. I have the SB7 box and I honestly hate it. It gives me a horrible headache and I can never understand what is being said in the moment, which is really frustrating because they could be speaking directly to me and I would know it at the time. It isn't until I get back to my office and run it through Audacity and clean it up a little that I'm able to realize they were speaking directly to me. I have even heard my name said on more than one occasion which is exactly what you want during the investigation. Once I get home, it is, of course, too late to respond. A man by the name of Frank Sumption took the idea given to Friedrich from the voices and expanded on it considerably. Frank is credited with refining the technology we use today in the form of the spirit box. His original creation was a wooden box and more complicated to tune and use, and he only made about 180 of them before his death in 2014. He gave his boxes as gifts to his friends and fellow investigators, and today a Frank's spirit box is a rare collector's item. I will include some links and videos to his work in the show notes. The technology has been streamlined and produced in the form of the SB7 box, making it simpler to use and less expensive and more available to investigative teams. There are some newer versions of the idea of the spirit box that employs the frequency-sweeping aspect with a digital library of words that the spirit can access so you can get a spoken word and a word itself on a computer screen. These I love because I don't have to try to unravel the garbled static. One of my favorite apps is available for use on your cell phone. It's just called Ghost Hunting Tools. But there are quite a few and most of them are free. I watch many of the ghost hunting shows and I take notes of what they're using and then I do research to figure out what best works for me and what's available. And I don't use these just when I'm investigating a haunting or a haunted location. Some of the most incredible results have occurred while out skywatching for possible UFO activity. I have talked to people who employ this technique while they're hunting Bigfoot also, and the results they get are incredible. There are tons of videos on YouTube that contain some pretty clear, incredible EVPs. One of the difficult things about listening to electronic voice phenomena is everyone that listens is usually hearing something different. We all hear the exact same recording, but where I may hear something saying good morning, someone else may hear something saying help me. But there are times when you get something that that is unmistakable and clear. And I get completely frustrated with the SB7. I stopped using it during investigations and the only time I do use it is when I'm doing an Estes Method session. During these sessions, I use it more for the purpose of creating white noise, and if I do manage to hear something, it usually tends to go along with the questions that are being asked by the person not wearing the blindfold and the headphones. The Estes Method was developed by Connor J. Randall and Carl Pfeiffer while they were working as resident paranormal investigators at the Stanley Hotel in Estes Park, Colorado. Yes, that's Stanley Hotel, from the terrifying movie based on Stephen King's book, The Shining. One person sits blindfolded and listening to the white noise generated by the SB7 on headphones turned up to a loud volume to block out any other noise. Or they listen to a white noise generator. Most often, it's usually the SB7. This person is the receiver. The transmitter is the person asking the questions and typically recording everything that happens. It's a little more difficult when you do a solo session, I usually just set the intention and ask my own questions as I go along and record everything. Recently I've been doing experiments with the app on my cell phone, the SP7 spirit box, and a digital recording device. I've tried this during solo Estes method sessions and also just solo investigations on site where there has been reported paranormal activity. I've been trying out different phone apps to see if I can get any consistency between it and the SB7 in the communications. So far, the jury is still out on the results. I need more data to review before I can say it works or not, but it certainly is interesting. And I have been frustrated recently by the summer heat, and I haven't ventured out into the field as often as I'd like to, It's not so much the heat as what the heat attracts. I'm not overly fond of rattlesnakes. The places I tend to go to are abandoned and overgrown, pretty much perfect habitat for the rattling nope rope. Hopefully soon the weather will break and these types of things will not be such an issue. We live in a time when technology is literally at our fingertips. We have incredible opportunity for discovery, and there are amazing investigators out there doing the work. I'm encouraged every day by the responses that I get from people who listen to this podcast. Because of you, I am not alone in my desire and attempts to understand what is happening all around us. I want to encourage you to do your own experiments and investigations. Depending on where you live, you may not have to travel far to find a site where the communication from the other side is possible. Are these places where the doors and windows to other dimensions are slightly ajar, making communication possible? Are these places where portals are open to the other side and those who have transitioned from this life can have their voices heard? I believe it's possible. I'm not sure who is speaking, but one thing I am sure of, these are not the voices of the damned and they deserve to be heard. So get out there and try to make contact never know who may be waiting just on the other side for a nice chat. Until next time, stay safe, stay curious, question everything, and we will talk again soon.